Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello and welcome back to you all. Now today's episode, I bring you a very interesting and inspiring woman, Aubrey Terrasses. She has worked her way up as a sommelier in some fantastic Michelin-style restaurants. She is currently studying her master sommelier exams, although note I do call it master of wine later on, so slight faux pas, but it's master sommelier. And she is an entrepreneur, having co-founded or founded many different businesses, most with a focus towards marketing. So she certainly brings a whole wealth of knowledge to this episode. We're certainly going to touch on what it's like to set up a business during, well, COVID times, the difficulty of not being able to get out and about, and so therefore having to be much more focused on digital marketing and working from home. So for those of you in the same boat or thinking about going down that road, There'll be a few tips and tricks in there to hopefully inspire you and help you along your way. Now, Aubrey knows a lot about data science and is using AI in one of the businesses, which you will find out about as we go on. And so this is all about looking at people's palette preferences and basically having your own virtual sommelier that can give you other suggestions. So we're also going to touch on that. Aubrey will give a few suggestions of alternative grape varieties that you may want to try in place of a more well-known international variety. For instance, if you like a Sauvignon Blanc, perhaps more from the Loire Valley or a French Sauvignon Blanc that's nice and citrusy and not too pungent and aromatic, you might want to try something like a Vidéo in Rueda, Spain, which has these limey grapefruit aromas and has that kind of medium high to high acidity. It's a dry wine. In fact, Vidéo is very often blended as well with Sauvignon Blanc. But then at the same time, if you're really after a pungent, aromatic Sauvignon Blanc from Marlborough, New Zealand, as an example... Bacchus, the English grape variety, I think I've talked about this before, can be an amazing alternative. Or perhaps for you red wine lovers, if you like a Zinfandel, well firstly Primitivo in the southern part of Italy, in the heel, Primitivo is the same grape variety as Zinfandel. And funny enough, Negromaro, which is another variety but grows in Puglia as well in the south of Italy, has this really full body, opulent, dark fruit nature. And yeah, if you like a Zinfandel or a Primitivo, Negromaro, for instance, might be really good for you. So who doesn't want to have an AI assistant, your own virtual sommelier, where they can help you find those discoveries? So my question is certainly, is AI the future for the wine industry? Well, certainly Aubrey's going to tell us a lot of how the data science and that AI works in her wine club. But I just want to have a quick touch on what is AI doing for us right now? Like, for instance, in the vineyards of Chateau Clerc Milan in Bordeaux, they have been working with their first vineyard robot, and his name is Ted. So what Ted does is he kind of goes around doing some of the more arduous tasks like weeding. He collects up data. He looks at soil cultivation, but he does that all without damaging the soil, which perhaps taking a tractor or some other agricultural machinery through the vineyard would do. 
Many wineries certainly believe that soon they will be having these robots that basically can do everything that we can do, but actually better looking out for pests and diseases and working out what system is best for water stress and controlling the vigor of the vines and alerting us when there are dangers or problems coming like rain over harvest time etc and then of course on the other side away from the vineyards you have applications like vivino which of course is taking over perhaps wine critics you know if you take everybody's reviews and you can work out what something tastes like again this is another way of using artificial intelligence so it's interesting to see the advances of the wine industry but i'm going to go over to the chat with aubrey now for her to inspire us and share her knowledge on the data science scene so enjoy the episode Aubrey, thank you so much for joining me. You're basically a girl after my own heart. I haven't told you this, but first of all, (laughs) BA in French. Well, let's pretend that was Spanish from my side. I believe (laughs) anyone who can speak another language has a superpower. So you've already got that under your belt. Please don't tell me you can speak Spanish as well. Uh, No, just a very small bit. Um, (laughs) I married into a Latino family, so I've kind of trained my ear a bit for it, but yeah. So there you are speaking another language. You have mixed being a sommelier in the past with being a fitness coach. So for me, turn that into yoga. I'm always mixing wine with yoga. Um, And you're a mega entrepreneur. I mean, I've been looking at the amount of different businesses you've done. And I mean, I need to extract some advice. I'm I'm trying. I'm basically at the bottom of the triangle of entrepreneurship. And you're studying your Master of Wine, so somehow you fit it all in. So um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. (laughs) Lovely to be here. Thank you so much for joining. So tell everyone listening, I suppose right now you've done all of these different businesses. You are are the founder of Terravine Agency, which is a digital marketing PR company, right? Yeah, that's right. And you literally packed up your stuff in America and just came over to France. Boom. How, How was that? Uh, yeah, you know, I, well, as you mentioned, I was a French major, and I don't want to date myself too much, but I did graduate some time ago. <laughs> <laughs> a few years. And, yeah, a few years. And so I felt like I, um, well, when I did my studies, I did study for a summer in Paris, but otherwise okay. I, um, I graduated from Chicago. And so I just never felt like I fully got it, and I wanted to spend more time mm-hmm. here. Um, but then at some point I met a man and I got married and so I had to convince him that it was a good idea to move around. <laughs> did that, did that take a while? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, as it, as it went actually, um, later when I co-founded Pallet Club, I was coming to Europe quite often, which we'll mm-hmm. talk about Pallet Club later, but, mm-hmm. um, I was coming quite often to look for wines to import, um, and had a few European leads as well for the marketing side. Okay. Um, and so it just seemed like it was a good um, combination of, of life. You know, it was two youngish 
married couple, no kids, and also actually had a legitimate business reason for being in Europe. Mm. Um, but I will say that I moved just on the heels of COVID, so it wasn't exactly as I <laughs> pictured it in my head. <laughs> not, not this romantic, running your own business, being free with the wind, yeah. not at all. Yeah, I was not, um, you know, hopping around to different European cities on short flights like I expected, or dining out in the Yolen all the time. Oh, no, yeah. The advantage, isn't it, of I always speak to Americans that we have here in Europe is, yeah, jump on a Ryanair flight, easy jet, mm-hmm. maybe even £50 return if you're lucky, and you can do that. So, yeah, that was your hope, and then that got dashed immediately. No flights, yeah. no travel. <laughs> huh. And how was setting up a... You are mainly focused wine, aren't you? It's a wine marketing PR, but I know you do branch out a little bit, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I've worked with some financial companies, um, lifestyle travel, Uh, but wine has been my main focus simply Mm -hmm. because that was my experience prior to marketing is I was a sommelier for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I had an agency in California and uh, we were focused a lot on, I mean, just by chance because of our network, it was a lot of California wineries. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the original kind of idea was to open a European branch, but in the end, when I got here, it was just we were growing really fast, but still a pretty young company. So we decided to kind of split ways. Okay. Um, so I agreed to sell the business in January 2020. <laughs> so I started the European side in March 2020. <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I mean, luckily it is still digital, but you know, we still didn't have the opportunity to go to wine fairs and network and meet mm. people. Um, I still work with a lot of American clients, but um, yeah, working more with French as well now. But then how did that work, having to do everything digitally? Was that a challenge? Yeah, you know, so much of the work was already digital, and I've been working remotely for around four years. Um, So it wasn't as big of a change for me as it might have been for some others. Mm. But I think the hardest part is that, you know, I think for a, a company that's in a niche like mine a lot of times you your business development is through networking and meeting people and so that was the main piece they got taken away and so i had to be a little bit more creative and put myself out there a little bit more than maybe i had in the past i mean there were some digital wine fairs maybe you've been to some but you don't meet people it's not the same no no it's just some conferences and that's nice and everything but let's be real we don't go to the to the wine fairs to like get a conference <laughs> about glassware. You're going there to, to meet people and to actually taste wine. Absolutely. And it's that bumping into people at a wine fair that, you know, especially if it's someone you really wanted to talk to and maybe they're quite busy, you grab them. And they, they have to be polite, at least for a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you get yeah. that meeting. So you were doing everything generally digitally. Do you have some maybe top tips that you've learned during this last year and a half for how to produce much more valuable content online to be noticed, to stand out? Yeah, that's a great question. I I think the thing that so many people struggle with is they feel like they're bothering people. Mm. Um, And, you know, sales and marketing is very hard and no one wants to be a salesperson. But um, you have to put yourself out there. And I think the way that you can do it and still feel ethical in your approach is by creating value, as you said. Mm, and okay. so thinking about what your who your customers are, first of all, and then thinking about what they would want to learn. And so, for example, I 
I do talk about wine on my content, but I'm not really someone that's doing a lot of wine education because that's just not my business. That's not what I do. So mm -hmm. I like to dig a little bit deeper and have those conversations that are more relevant maybe to business owners and professionals in the industry, things like um, packaging, industry trends, um, even mm. things like sales and marketing. And, you know, that maybe that reaches a smaller audience, but it's the audience that I want to get to. And yeah. then I feel good because it's something that actually adds value to their lives. Mm, okay. It's not um, only one specific type of business that I like to target or even one type of person. In general, I like to communicate with people that are interested in innovating and expanding and growing. Um, because if for a marketing and business development agency, you know, you if someone wants to stay where they are, then there's not really a lot of value that I could add to them. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so even if that's not that maybe that's a winery or an e-commerce company or a boutique hotel, um, but also maybe that's, that's someone like yourself that is, that is a, an entrepreneur that's working on growing their business. And, you know, I've helped some people just with business coaching as well. And that's actually my favorite relationship is when I can really kind of help a business okay. grow from the start. I shall keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> so also as well, I guess people listening, seeing as you are a wealth of knowledge, you're working from home. You said you've been working remotely for four plus years. I think motivation is possibly one of the hardest points and getting stuck in front of that computer and just thinking, ah, yes. what would you say, again, for somebody who's starting their day that needs to get things done, how do you make sure that you stay aware awake, alert, energized, motivated? Do you have a, a system of success? Yeah, you know, I think that especially for people that aren't used to working remotely, that's the hardest part. And mm. especially for working from home, um, you know, it's really easy to get distracted. Like, oh, you know, these dishes need to get done or... It's always the washing machine for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's always something. Uh, so I think that it's important to still give yourself some structure. Mm. Um, so to have a routine and so maybe that means like okay I start my work day at, at nine and maybe you work at nine to five for yourself and you take a lunch break at one whatever that might be um, and I've had to be a little bit more flexible with my hours because I take so many calls in American hours still Ugh, and so yeah, yeah. Um, which is all right I'm not working too too late usually I get done at 7 or 8 p.m. okay um, but I just start my day a little bit later um, and I maybe I start with like just writing when I'm feeling energized and okay. creative in the morning, but then I take a longer break to exercise and take care of my errands. Mm -hmm. um, and it, honestly, as much as we can all love remote work and there's some beauty to it, I personally find myself way more productive when I have a co-working space or an office. And so ah, if you okay. have the means to do so, I think that just getting out and maybe, I, I haven't had a home office since I've been in San Francisco, so it's been a couple of years. Um, but when you, if you do have the luxury of having an extra room in your home where you can just shut the door and because I think having a physical boundary helps a lot yep. too. Yep. I made that big mistake. I used to do all of my work on my kitchen table and I would then just move the laptop to the side, make my lunch and sit there <laughs> yeah. and that is terrible. Right. And then you're like, and an email comes up. So then you're reading your emails whilst 
eating you know your soup whatever for instance and there's no shut off time so now mm. if I have moved to a different room completely I make sure that that laptop does not follow me into the yeah. kitchen for when I sit down and I make sure as well after lunch I do something either like go for a walk or drink that kind of coffee and just switch off and have a think or you know whatever so that's helped me certainly but I guess what you're saying have some structure be kind to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have a lot more motivation if you're by yourself than if you are in an office space because it is almost like it just feels like you're supposed to be working. So that already helps you when you're in a co-working space. I wish I had that. I can feel that. Yeah. I mean, because even, I mean, I don't, no one is going to check my hours or anything. But yes. I, I, so I do have an office here in Lyon now and I have someone that I collaborate with a lot. She's a, she's a graphic designer. Mm-hmm. Um well, I'll give her a little plug. Why not? Um, so her agency <laughs> is called uh, Le Studio Colotte. And she has okay. she's a great web designer. Um, she's also focused on the wine industry. Um, anyway, Definitely. so it, it's not like she's... I'm not working for her, you know, like I don't have to clock in at nine or anything. But when I get to the office at two, I still am a little bit embarrassed. Oh, bless you. Yeah, you still can't sorry. shake it off. <laughs> when things are inbuilt into your system from a younger age, that's it. It's not going to yeah. go away. Bless you. So tell me now then a little bit more about Palette Club, because you were also the co-founder of Palette Club. And I think you're still like kind of the in-house SOM, right? So, so what is Palette Club? Yeah, so Palette Club is... It, we just service America right now. So it's uh, US based. Right now? Yeah, we do have some plans to expand to Europe, oh, but okay. TBD. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's a uh, wine subscription startup that uses AI in blind tasting to match wines to your taste. Okay, love that. So how? How? Yeah. <laughs> I, so that that's, I think, the thing that, that really differentiates us outside of sourcing artisan wines, whereas a lot of wine subscription companies actually kind of produce bulk wine in America mm-hmm. um, due to the tight house laws, which is, could be a whole podcast. But Oh, God, yeah, I don't understand them, <laughs> but I know the laws and wine and wine sales in America is just confusing as hell but okay, yeah. yeah well to put it to very briefly for your UK and European based listeners mm-hmm. uh, essentially every state functions as its own entity yeah. and um, it's starting to change now but for the longest time you could not as a retailer ship to any state you wanted you had to you have to have a license to distribute and ship in every state and so one way to get around that is if you're a winery then you can ship pretty much everywhere Um, and so a lot of these other companies operate as a winery which means that when they're saying that they're selling Sancerre that means that they imported bulk juice from Sancerre and then made it in California put a nice Ah. label on it and then shipped it out um, mm. So we're actually using real producers, which would even probably be familiar um, to to many people listening. Um, so that's the first thing. Okay. And the second thing is that we've, I think, really got the data science part down. Okay. And this is what I want to know. How do you use effectively AI and look at this data science to work out the perfect profile for a wine consumer? Yeah. And, you know, it's it hasn't been easy because <laughs> wine is so subjective, right? Oh, gosh, yeah. So how do you take a subjective experience like wine and make it objective where you find the traits and the, the nuances of someone's palate mm-hmm. to be able to match wines to their taste? 
Um, so the way that we did it is myself and a couple of other advanced sommeliers um, basically broke down around 200 traits that could be found in wine. And then we worked okay. with some data scientists in Paris to create an algorithm. So every time that we bring a wine into our portfolio, a, a sommelier, and so you mentioned master, I'm actually in the master sommelier track rather than masters of wine. Oh, master um, sorry, apologies. Oh, it's Very no different. apologies. Um, <laughs> they're, you know, I think they're both equally prestigious. Um, but the, the only reason why I, I mentioned that is because the tasting method is a little bit different for master okay. sommeliers. Okay. And we've kind of used that structure so that way there is some um, level of consistency when people are tasting. Okay, so what is that? Yeah, I'd love to know a little bit more about that tasting structure for Master Sommelier and then obviously how you've incorporated it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the, the main difference is that the WSET and Masters of Wine program, first of all, it's written and you're still looking for a lot of the same elements, but there is, a, um, for the Master Sommelier, you're generally blind tasting wine and trying to identify it in about four minutes. Okay. And so it's, um, you know, we've, we've kind of learned what the scale of tannin and acid is um, within this world. So, for example, you know, like a Barolo is going to be high tannin, but then maybe mm -hmm. a, a left bank Bordeaux is going to be medium plus tannin. Okay. Um, and then even for, for things like sweetness, that can be a little bit subjective as well. But, you know, like a, an Auslisa Riesling is going to be maybe medium um, medium plus mm -hmm. sweetness, um, whereas like a Tokai is, is going to be sweet. And mm -hmm. so anyway, we have this, we've kind of learned this, this scale, as well okay. as we've learned to identify the traits really quickly, things like, because um, I mean, when you're tasting wines, basically, we, we go through and we identify the traits that are in the wine that we purchased for the club. Um, and usually there's around 40 traits that we identify. So we are looking for those structural elements, sweetness, mm -hmm. fruitiness, complexity, tannin, acid, alcohol, um, bitterness for whites, oak. And then we are also looking for ripeness of fruit as well as any aromatic elements there like um, earthiness, red fruit, um, black fruit, whatever, um, mm -hmm. minerality. and so we've entered all of that in. As the customer, you don't have to know about blind tasting. Don't worry. You just rate the wine <laughs> how you like it, one through five stars. And it's really that simple. Oh, but wow. Then, okay. Yeah. When, once you have rated four wines, then that's enough data for us to start creating a profile. Okay. But then as you continue to get wines um, with your subscription, you can continue to rate them in the app. And it kind of works in a similar way to Netflix where we start to learn more nuances. And so mm -hmm. we weight things differently based on how you're rating things. So if we see a pattern, for example, like you're always rating wines with high acid, five stars, but then maybe your fruit profile is kind of all over the place. Like sometimes it's ripe, sometimes it's tart, sometimes it's red fruit, sometimes it's black fruit. We'll be like, mm -hmm. okay, well, she wants high acid wines. So that's going to be more important for our selection than yeah. um, the fruit profile. Okay. That's really, really interesting. Okay, amazing. So every time the blind tasting box comes, they have four wines, and then the, every time the subscription box arrives, it's another four wines each time. Uh, well, the first, so the um, you can create your profile either by taking a quiz or by doing the blind tasting box, which is four half bottles, mm -hmm. and those are meant to be polarizing um, to kind of like learn your palate a little bit faster. Ah, uh, okay. 
But then after that, you can create a subscription. They're for full-size bottles. So it could be, you could get a case every month if that's your thing, or you can get four bottles every three months. Um, Uh, So there's, there's a range, but there are, there are shipped blind and you can continue to rate them and we'll learn more about your palate over time. Oh, that's amazing. So they're shipped blind, but is that like they're in a sleeve and then you can take it off afterwards and actually look at the bottle once you've finished? This is so much fun. Um, can we please get? Can we please get this in the UK? Yeah, I think that I think that they would love it there. Uh, yes, we would. I'm here. I'm vouching. <laughs> we we would. No, have you used this data science on yourself? Have you have you done the quiz? Have you played with it to see if actually the algorithm tells you what you were expecting to find? Yeah, absolutely. So, what did the algorithm tell you? What do you, what do you like in your life? <laughs> I well, for um, for reds, I tend to like um, kind of medium plus structured wines, and I tend mm-hmm. to like um, maybe on the medium scale of ripeness, but with a lot of complexity and a lot of other earthy elements. So, things that I saw in my profile were things like left bank Bordeaux and mm-hmm. um, northern Rome Syrah showed up on my profile a lot um and then for whites i like things a little bit honestly like i i love a good crisp wine but i i do tend to enjoy kind of like a rounder aromatic style at conjure and even white burgundy okay yeah it's pretty accurate white you're versatile interesting okay let's just for people listening you mentioned a left bank bordeaux or a northern rhone both Mm -hmm. french You are very biased. (laughs) You are living there. Uh, No, I'm actually, Italian wine was on there too. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I was going to say, could you possibly give people a suggestion if they like Left Bank Bordeaux and they want to come out of France, Mm -hmm. where do you feel you should send them? What do you think? So to stick with that palette. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, so we do have some really interesting wines from the Thracian Valley in Bulgaria. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I did a podcast on Bulgaria a few months ago. I think the value coming out of Bulgaria is insane. It's really fantastic. Okay, yeah, because they do have that beautiful fruitiness, but then Mm -hmm. also a little bit of earthiness and some, I don't want to quite go as rustic tannins but there's mm-hmm. there's that element that certainly I noticed with the very small amount of Bulgarian wines I've tried so carry on so what did you find with your Thracian wines yeah I think very similar to what you just said I think it has kind of this nice balance between there I think as you mentioned it's a little bit riper than Bordeaux but mm-hmm. it's not a very mm-hmm. it's not like drinking an apicat by any means and it also has so much minerality and floral notes and okay. also I, I find that I've it had a little bit of sort of like that peppery um, roasted bell pepper at times and Bulgarian wines, which is really characteristic of Bordeaux. Mm. And the structure is, is not too far off. Okay, interesting. Now, what if somebody is a, likes to drink Northern Rome? Sira, <laughs> so what would, where, where would you like to send them for a new experience around the world? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> so this might throw people off a little bit, but there are ah. some areas of, of Australia that are making... I um, actually kind of like a lot earthier style, like from Heathcote, a cool climate. Syrah from California or Australia um, works really nicely. Okay, so there we go. So that gives people a few ideas where to go. Now, in terms of working as a sommelier, I remember this is effectively, this AI is like being a virtual sommelier, isn't it? Like picking things out. Did you find that there were specific questions that would often come up? You know, to be honest, I think that people are really shy when it comes to asking questions for wine. Mm. 
And so I think that they, the biggest problem is people don't know which questions to ask. Yeah, where to start. Yeah, yeah. and that, that's another thing that we were trying to solve as well because it is really confusing, you know. It's, people are kind of embarrassed to, to say anything uh, and they don't have the vocabulary that, that you and I might have to be able to yeah. say, you know, I'm looking for a high acid red with blah, 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 blah. And so they just know, they might say, oh, I really like a cab or I really like a Pinot. And then, you know, as my psalm brain is like, well, is that French or American? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's really different. Yeah, how fruit driven do you like the style? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I think that um, part of Palette Club is also kind of mirroring the hospitality that a sommelier provides. And by mm -hmm. just, you can just tell me what you like, and then I can steer the conversation to really kind of learn what it is you like about that wine. Is it because of the bright red fruit? Is it because of the structure? Is it when you say you like a Pinot from California, are you thinking a really oaky big one? Or are you thinking like Sonoma Coast where it's, it's tart fruit and, and high acid? So starting to learn those characteristics so people can mm -hmm. find the dialogue to actually describe the wine so even if you're not ordering palette club wines like the uk listeners can take the quiz and they'll still have the the profile and the recommendations and so that way if they go to a wine shop they can say like you know i'm really i i am would be interested in trying you know like this this is in from from greece and i'm looking for something mm -hmm. that has you know medium plus acid high alcohol da 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 and then the expert can hopefully guide you from there. Just for everyone listening, Casino Mavro, if you haven't tried it, why haven't you? It's amazing. And yes. the best way, <laughs> absolutely right. Again, it's now like a, a sommelier secret, isn't it? Yeah. Um, for anybody, I did do a Greek podcast, again, going back a few months so you can find it. But Casino Mavro, the best way to describe it is if um, Burgundy, so like the Pinot Noir grape, um, had a love child with Nebbiola grape from Barolo. And they came together and they also threw in a little bit of like sun-dried tomatoes. That would be it. That's kind of the best way to describe Casino Mavro. But it's stunning and anyone i i did a wine tasting a private wine tasting actually this weekend with a casino mavro which is really interesting that you you brought this up um that was a great but, description by the way that was perfect oh mm -hmm. thank you very much well i literally did the tasting last week so it's literally <laughs> fresh in my mind so che yeah. cheating slightly but but everyone at the table it was a group of uh, ladies celebrating their 50s said before they t tried it they were like oh but greek wine it's normally just like really thick and sweet and oh it's not good and i thought you know this is the problem you know very often I guess people go to Greece maybe they stay in an all-inclusive resort they get given the the very worst stuff and they have no idea the wonderful structure fruit flavors balance and and quality that's coming out of Greece right now yeah and when we were talking about quality I mean I think that the um the value in Greece is is crazy you can get a world-class wine for maybe you know 10 pounds oh, and I was also serving a Sertko, which of course is the great variety of Santorini but it was from Crete and it was from the winery Lirarikis and I just I've said to anybody and anyone listening go and get some wine from Lirarikis. Certainly for us in the UK, you can actually even get their own versions in Majestic. They are in Waitrose, so our, like Waitrose is kind of like our 
higher end uh, supermarket and there's loads of examples online and these are the guys that have like rescued all these amazing extinct varieties from the Crete Island which is very different from mainland and all the other islands mm-hmm. it's very separate and they've brought all these different um, grape varieties back from extinction so like Plito grape variety and Vidiano grape varieties that no one would have ever heard so it's just a, a world of grape exploration if you go to Crete so there you go Liraricus everyone go to that winery try that out from Crete a little plug for them bless them but they deserve it right I'm getting off track sorry but then I guess you know we're just here to recommend wines aren't we yeah and Crete is also a great place to to holiday as well I have been to Crete but unfortunately I was 18 years old and it wasn't the kind of holiday where you would remember the nature and the terrain (laughs) (laughs) so I still need to go but but apparently they say that you know Greece I mean this is the oldest country of wine culture not the first country to ever make wine but if you ever want to experience wine culture they believe that it would have started in Crete so you know they probably picked up their winemaking techniques from the Egyptians and it came to to Crete so yes you can get some sun some beautiful food and taste amazing wine and learn some history all at the same time it's on my list when traveling becomes very easy again (laughs) hopefully soon oh dear now before finishing I wanted to ask you about your podcast because you're doing a podcast as well. It's the new in thing. You know, all the cool yeah. kids are doing it, right? So you're doing a podcast yourself. What's that about? Yeah, so the podcast is called Think and Drink. I have okay. a co-host yeah. um, who's not in the wine industry, actually. She's she's lovely and brilliant. Um, she uh, was in finance, but also has a rich background in arts and entertainment. She's a semi-professional salsa dancer. Her name's Allison. Oh, okay. I'm jealous of everyone. <laughs> I just want to... Anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, it's not strictly a wine podcast so much, but it is the type of conversation you might have with a friend over a glass of wine. Mm. So we're interviewing people in niche industries that have ideas about impact and innovation to kind of progress and um, innovate within their industry. And the point is really to get people inspired, uh, motivated, so whether you are a solopreneur, startup or even just a professional to just feel you know kind of like you have uh, an opportunity to create change from where you are love that another inspiring podcast I will make sure to tune in now it's called think and drink mm-hmm. right amazing so yes welcome to the podcast world <laughs> thank you Data science is certainly on trend right now. If you Google search it, you can see the popularity is huge. There's loads of data scientist jobs and it's certainly being used to good effect, it seems, in the wine industry. So maybe this episode has motivated you to come over to the analytical side of the wine world or in fact, start up that new business. Things are certainly changing. The future of wine is blank. Enter word here. Now, I hope you enjoy these episodes being split into part one and two you've probably noticed that part one is much more focused on my guest and their story and what they're doing so I hope that gives you a greater insight into the wine industry not just about wine and the wine regions but do let me know if you're enjoying it this way so email me yanina at eatsleepwinerepeat.co.uk and it's yanina with a j or go on instagram and direct message me at eat sleep underscore wine repeat 
So finishing off with a wine quote of the week. Actually, it's a few wine quotes. I'm going to squidge them together because, well, you know, they're all gold. And I want to finish this podcast motivating you and making you feel inspired. So these quotes come from one of my favorite wine entrepreneurs. And actually, if anybody has listened to episode 64, that was the wine communication episode, you'll realize that Gary Vaynerchuk, at the time, I wasn't sure if I liked him or not. Turns out since that episode, I do. I love him a lot. So (laughs) as Gary Vaynerchuk has said, you have to understand your own personal DNA. Don't do things because I do them, or Steve Jobs, or Mark Cuban tried it. You need to know your personal brand and stay true to that. Look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, what do I want to do every day for the rest of my life? Do that. Your legacy is being written by yourself. Make the right decisions. Right, wine industry or not wine industry, make the right decision with a good bottle of wine. But I hope that has made you feel like whatever you need to do this week, you can do it and do it better than everyone else. (laughs) Thank you as ever. That's the end of today's episode. Next week is part two, of course, with Aubrey. And we are talking about Bolivian wines. Yes, the wines of Bolivia. And you will find out next week why Aubrey's talking about Bolivian wine. So do like this episode if you can, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and leave your comments if possible. It makes the podcast more discoverable. Share with all your wine-loving friends. You know what to do and I am raising a glass to you. Until next week, cheers to you.